before I begin, I'm going to pray one more time and uh, ask for God's Spirit to be right in me, on me, that I would be filled with the Spirit as I talk to you today about God's Word. And that's why hopefully what I hope that you desire is that God's Spirit would be a part of the preaching of the Word. And so I want to pray for that, and I want to ask you to pray for that at the same time uh, with me. Uh, also, part of that is praying that God's Spirit will... Uh, the Bible talks about opening up our ears, that our ears can become clogged, right? And it's not talking about earwax, right? Uh, I think that when Jesus talks about our ears being closed, he's really talking about our hearts being impenetrable, right? Um, and so we want to pray for that as well, okay? Only Father, I just want to begin today by praying to you that you would fill me with your spirit and uh, fill me with your spirit's power. Ephesians talks about how uh, the same spirit that raised you, raised Christ from the dead, is now at work in us. And so, Lord, that's an amazing power, a power that frightens me at times. But Lord, I know that it's real. I know it's amazing. God, I pray that you'd fill this room up with your spirit. Lord, that you'd be a part of it, really the whole thing of the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that I would not go astray and speak on things that are wrong or incorrect, but go the right direction. But I pray for every heart in here, Lord, that your spirit would break down if there's a cold or a stubborn heart that does not want to hear the things of uh, your word. God, I pray that you'd break that down and open up that heart and open up those ears, the mind, the eyes. In all these things, we pray this because of what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, we believe that the only hope that we have is what Christ did for us. And so, Lord, that's why we pray in Jesus' name. And so we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to write a word on the board I know you've heard. Who's heard that word before? <laughs> no, never. Yeah. Saved. Heard saved? Heard of being saved before? I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to tell me if you hear the word saved. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10, and if you want, you can follow along, but I, I would recommend just, just listen for it. Train your ears. See if you can hear it, okay? I'll read uh, with, with some expression here, and you see if you can hear the word saved. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, how many times did you hear the word saved? I think I already told you, but how many times did you hear it? Two. Both times, there were same, the same words twice. For by grace you have been saved. Right? And we'll talk about that in a second. But let's start first with asking the question, what does it mean to be saved? What do you, I mean, literally, when you think of the word saved, what do you... Do? In fact, I almost let it out there. You're saved from something, right? When we think saved, like if you think non, in non-spiritual terms, non-religious terms, when you say, man, the guy saved my life, right? What are you talking about? What's that? A near miss, right? Man, I almost got it. I got saved. Yeah. 
Yeah, rescued. Yeah, absolutely. Rescued. You're safe now. You weren't safe. And you even see kind of the word safe is part of the word saved. And in, in the Greek language, it's, it's similar. The word that we have translated as saved, it can mean safe, right? You've been brought into safety kind of idea. Okay? And so it definitely has that meaning. So, so when you've been rescued or you've been saved, you've been, you know, it's been a near miss, you got grabbed out of danger, right? Uh, what are you saved from? What's that? God's wrath, which when we talk about God's wrath, specifically, what are we referring to? Hell, right? We're talking about being saved from hell. Now, the Bible does talk about being saved from hell. Uh, for example, Romans 5.9 says, Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, there's something very interesting about this. Nearly every single time it, the Bible talks about being saved from the, the wrath of God or being saved from hell, it, it says it in the future tense, or like Romans 5, 9 says, shall be saved. Right? You shall be saved. Now think about that for a second. Romans 5, 9 says, since you have been justified, declared righteous before God, in the future, you will be saved. Right? Here's, here's the reality. None of you, technically, if you want to get real technical, none of you have been saved from hell yet. Because you haven't faced hell yet. Everybody's alive. Right? You're all alive, so you haven't been saved from hell yet, so to speak. You will be. Right? But the Bible, when it says shall be saved, that's future tense. It's talking about you will be one day saved from hell. Okay, But Paul, in this passage, in fact, almost every single time that Paul uses the word saved, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about future tense. He says you will be saved. In fact, it's really interesting. Uh, I read through the book of Romans one time. Charity and I just read through the whole book. Every single time it says saved, it says future tense. It's never have been saved. It's always future tense. You shall be saved. You will be in the future. You will be saved. Right? You will be eventually saved from hell. That's what Paul's talking about. But in Ephesians, it doesn't say you will be saved. What does it say? You can look in your Bibles. Ephesians 2. Have been. And, and if it doesn't have the words have been, it, that's okay because different versions may have a few different words in there. But in the original, it is past tense. Both times that Paul mentions saved... He's talking about past tense. You, you were saved. So in the, this case, since he says have been saved, I'm going to put have been. You have been saved. Paul is not talking about, because every time he said, talks about being saved from hell, he talks about shall be. You will be saved in the future. But in this case, he's talking about something that happened in the past. You have been saved. So the question then is, in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul talks about saved, what are you saved from? What do you think according to the text? From being dead, right? It says you were dead in your sins. Isn't that what it says? And he says you once were dead. Now let's think about Let's just kind of summarize some of Ephesians 2 here. It says you once were dead. You've been made alive. You've been saved. Do you see what he's doing when he says you've been saved? He's kind of summarizing the process of being dead and now you're alive. And so when Paul talks about being saved in this passage, he's talking about, okay, you were dead, and I'm going to draw a dead guy here. All right, let's put a guy here. I've got a guy here. and Let's give him a little nice flower. All right? Okay. He says you were dead. That's what you were. God has made you alive. And he mentions things like uh, raised with Christ, seated with Christ. We've been talking about all three of these things the last couple Sundays. What do those mean? And, and, and he says you, you. And he, and he summarizes it by saying, "You've been saved." This is what saved is. This is what Paul's referring to. You've been saved. Saved means you were dead. Now you're alive, right? Okay. So it's important to understand that as we look at this. Now, notice the second point there that I have for you. 
Notice both times he says this, he says, for you have been saved. But right before that, what does he say right before that? Both times he mentions saved. It's by what? Grace. Okay. Now, let's think about this one for a minute. If, if, if I say, uh, it wasn't but the grace of God that I made it. Right? Now, the, the only, I try to think of a different example. The only example, that, the one that kept coming back to my mind that I've experienced recently where I kept hearing that phrase was when the car crashed into the school. Right? Now, there's a few people going, wow, we were lucky. But you know, most of the people that were there were going, that was nothing but the grace of God. Right? And I was really thankful that they were recognizing that. But, but what made it for them uh, wasn't but the grace of God. And I, so I'm sitting there thinking about why, 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 what makes it by the grace of God? What makes it by grace? Grace, as you know, means unmerited or undeserved blessing or, or favor. Like if you're favorable towards somebody and it wasn't because of them, that's grace. If you extend grace to somebody... It's, it's really not because they were asking for it. Real grace means they didn't do anything to get it. And so when a car goes crashing through your school and you say it wasn't for the grace of God, it means that it's not like we saw the car coming and it was my cat-like reflexes that got me out of the way, right? If that was the case, my wife just laughed because she knows I don't have cat-like reflexes, right? I, if it, I could have said... Man, my cat-like reflexes saved me, right? You know, the thing is, what was weird about that event is nobody, I mean, it came in so fast that even people that were in the cafeteria didn't have time to flinch or move. There was one lady, her, her husband's a, a pastor, Pastor Blue down in Ridge Farm or something, but uh, um, her, her, she was standing there in the cafeteria waiting, and she's usually in there. She's one of the cafeteria workers that just helps to monitor the kids, and um and she's standing there, and the, the videos, they had some videos. She was just, it just, she didn't even have time to turn her head as it was crashing. Through. I mean, she didn't even flinch, and it just missed her. She was one of the first people saying, what about the grace of God that I didn't get hit? Well, why, why do we say that? Because to really say something is by grace means you didn't even see it coming. You didn't even see the need to be saved. Nobody was sitting there that day thinking, later on today, there's going to be a car crashing through the school, and we've got to be ready. Right? The reason why it was by the grace of God is because nobody saw it coming. And so when Paul says, by grace you have been saved, what he's saying is this, is that you were, you were dead. And, and, and nobody over in this situation saw, whoa, we need something here. God, you need to send a Savior. You need to do this. It, for it to really be by grace means that nobody earned it. Nobody did anything to get this saving. By grace, you have been saved. And so Paul summarizes it. And that's made even more clear when you think about the fact that you're legitimately dead. See, the problem here is that your heart is dead. And it's not just any kind of normal dead. We talked about this already. It's not any kind of normal dead. It's actually a dead Paul describes as being dead in sin. Basically, what it means is that you, you're opposed to God. What does it say in Romans 3? It talks about there's no, no one who understands and no one who seeks after God. See, the, the problem runs deeper than we might imagine. The problem is so deep that everybody over in this situation, nobody's saying, oh, we need a Savior. They're all saying nothing about that. There's no thought of these things. They're dead in their sin. Right? And so, this is the state where Paul is at. You're dead. Now, some would say that it's, there, there's this glimmer of hope maybe in here. It says, I need God. But that's not true either, is it? There's no one who seeks after God. See, the, 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 the challenge runs very, very deep in our salvation. There are places in the Bible that talk about what God did for salvation. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Christ took the penalty of your sin on Himself. His righteous life is now given to His followers and they are justified by the grace of God. But when I read Ephesians 2, 1-10, did it say anything about Jesus or the cross or dying? 
Did it say anything about the cross at all? No. Because Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 isn't talking about that. It's talking about the deeper problem. That even though God, see, because chapter 1 was talking about what God did in eternity past and then he sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sin. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says the problem here is deep. You're, you are so dead in your sin, you will never, ever, ever cry out to God. No one will. Right? And so there's some versions that look at um, salvation as kind of like a door. I think we get this because uh, of uh, the book of Revelation talks about where Jesus stands. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come into him. But Revelation isn't talking about those who are dead in sin. It's talking about a church. Right? And it, 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 there's definitely this... Uh, the problem is that if, if all Jesus did was make a way to salvation and the door is standing wide open, the problem, according to Ephesians, is, is that nobody would ever take the door. There's a deeper problem, and it's a problem that's in the heart. You're dead in your sin. You're opposed to God and everything about God. Right? So now, we're saved by grace. It's clearly by the grace of God. But notice the next statement. Now, the first time that Paul mentions it, he doesn't mention this. He just says, by grace you have been saved. But the second time, he adds a little extra two words. By grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. Now, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is, is such a common passage. Almost everybody's heard this at some point in their life. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? And we, we hear these things. But understand, this is not a passage that's telling you how to get saved. It's talking about how, this, how saving happens, how God saves you. Now, the through faith here, the, we have the by grace, by the grace of God we can talk about, but there's the through faith. I think one of the most amazing things about salvation is the fact that it's done through faith, Right? Now, what does that mean, actually? Here's what it means. Faith, faith means belief. means trust. means reliance. Um, it also means worldview. Your faith is genuinely how you see the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, you're going to have to think about this one for a minute. But to to go from not having faith to not seeing the world, you're, you're over here, you're dead in sin, to having faith where you see God and you see Him as your Savior and you're trusting in Him with your life, that is what you might call a complete change of heart, isn't it? I mean, we go from being dead in sin to being alive, raised with Christ, seeking after God, right seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ, and we have what is called faith. You're now believing in God, trusting in God, looking to God as the source of everything that is important to you. Now, here's the thing about this. I speak to you as a teacher for a moment. You cannot force yourself, no matter what kind of effort you exert, to have a change of heart. In fact, if you decide... I think I'm going to have a change of heart over this. You've already had a change of heart. Right? I mean, you, can't, you can't go from not wanting something and not... You, know, face this way. you can't go from, from not wanting Jesus, not loving Jesus, not liking Jesus, to all of a sudden liking Jesus. The fact that the moment that you say, I think I am going to like Jesus and love Jesus and follow after and trust Him, you've already had the change of heart. You can't. No matter what you try to do, you can't choose a change of heart. In reality, you can't choose faith. This lifts up God even higher, doesn't it? In fact, just so we don't miss it, look at what Paul's very next statement is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And some versions say this, some versions say that. And that not of yourselves, some versions say, or some versions say, and this not your own doing. What's the what's it referring to? Now, there's actually some question over this amongst theologians. When it says here, by grace you have been saved through faith, and then it says, 
and that, or this, not of yourselves. Oh, I ran out of room. Selves, there, we'll fit it, squeeze it in there. This that, what's it referring to? Now, when we look at it in the English language, our first thought is that it refers to what? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. What's, what's, it, what's it? And that, what's, it, what's he talking about? Just guess. The faith? Now, the word that in the Greek language is in the, the neutral gender. Faith is in the feminine gender. So, linguistically, according to the language, it couldn't refer just to that. But it can't refer just to the grace either, because grace is also feminine. So every theologian that I read, every commentary I read, they all said the same thing. It at least refers to this. But what it most likely refers to is the whole package of salvation. The grace and the faith. And I love what it actually says. In the Greek it says, And that is not you. Now let yourself chew on that for a second. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, that faith, that grace, you didn't do that either. Now, this kind of really, really throws a loop in a few people's belief system. There's a few people. Maybe you think this. And so you may have to chew on this for a little bit. You may not like grab this right away and go, oh, yeah, okay, I believe it. But I'm telling you right now, this is what the text says. You can't get around it. I've heard many people say, God did his part by sending Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, I have to do my part by believing in him. What have you done when you said that? Is that grace anymore? No, because you're, you're taking some of the credit. God did his part, I do my part. Right? It's not, that's not how it works. It says the grace and the faith is all of him. Because what needs to happen here is that you need a completely new heart that's made alive. In the Old Testament, one prophet describes it this way. He said, when he's talking about the Messiah coming... He says this Messiah is going to be the kind of Messiah that's going to take, get rid of the stone heart and give you a heart of flesh, just meaning a heart that feels and beats and pumps. Right? I mean, the salvation we're talking about is a great salvation. This is why so many writers of old have described salvation as what a great salvation it is. Because God didn't just make a way of salvation. Right? He didn't just make the doorway and the possibility to salvation. He then goes in to these dead people that hate him, that don't want anything to do with them, and he performs spiritual surgery on them, and he takes out that heart of death and of sin, and he puts in its place a heart of flesh that loves him, that has faith in him. And so God connects us through Christ with him through faith. By grace, you've been saved through faith. You've been saved from sin. You've been saved from the power of sin. And it's been done by the grace of God alone. And the way He worked it in you is through faith. A new heart. A heart that loves Him. A heart that wants the things that He wants. That desires Him. Is seeking after Him. Is trusting in Him with your life. Right? This is why John can write in his letter. He says, you can know that you love God because you keep His commandments and His commandments aren't a burden to you. Well, how could they not be a burden unless you really genuinely believed they were for your good and you loved God? Right? It's not about it being a burden. It's not about being a challenge. Now, let me get rid of some of this stuff up here. Now, this salvation, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Right? That's the next part. He says, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Right? That just reiterates the same thing. This completely, this whole thing. The grace, the faith. It's all a gift from God. And notice the next phrase says, not of works.
the word works, right? The word works in the original. Let me turn my page here. I'm going to give you the, an accurate definition here. The word works in the original means any product, whatever, or anything accomplished by your hand or by art or by industry or even something that's accomplished in your mind. And so this is just reiterating again that this faith that's not of you, it's not yours, right? It's a gift. It's not of works. It's not by any effort that you've sought after, right? That you've worked for. You can't take any of the credit. I just don't think there's anything else that could lift up God even higher than recognizing the fact that even your salvation, you as an individual, the reason why you're saved, you have to say, it's by the grace of God I'm saved. It wasn't because you were a seeker after God. It wasn't because you had something different than everybody else. It wasn't because you were working even harder than anybody else trying to figure it out. Right? It's also not, and we, and we use it this way as well, it's also not because, okay, I did these certain select things. There's a lot of religions that look at salvation as you have to do this list or you have to accomplish these things or you have to do penance or you have to get baptized or you have to, right? And this, this verse just wipes all those things out, doesn't it? just completely eliminates any of those things. Right? You are not saved by what you've done. This is why for several weeks I've talked a lot about how you can't sit there and say, I know I'm saved because of something I did back here. Because when you do that, you go against this passage of Scripture. You can't say you know you're saved by what you did. Right? And so it leaves, with a, leaves us with a couple of challenging thoughts. One that people struggle with is, well, then how can I know that I'm saved? If I can't know that I'm saved by what I did, how can I know that I'm saved today? Now, we've shared some of those things from 1 John. 1 John talks a lot about this. But let me share with you what uh, Paul talks about next. Right? Since, you can't be, since, since you're not saved by the fact that you've done things, it's not of works, it's truly by faith alone, the way that you can know that you're saved is because you are now a completely different person. You are God's workmanship. Listen to the next verse. Now, this, this is where so many people, I, I've heard, my whole life I heard Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I heard Ephesians 2, 10. Right? So you're saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works. But nobody ever told me Ephesians 2, 10. Right? Ephesians 2, 10 says this. For we are his workmanship. Right? We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, or to do good works, which God prepared in advance or beforehand for us to do, that we should walk in them. Now, this is the amazing thing about Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. It takes us in a full circle. Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that circle in just a second. But here you have, and I'm going to get rid of some more of this stuff here. You're dead. You have a heart of stone. Right? God saves you. Part of the saving you gives you a heart that's alive. He's quickened you. He's made you alive in Christ Jesus. Part of this being alive process, an instantaneous result of that being made alive, is what we call faith. Right? A trust in God. A belief in God. Right? These are connected. God makes you alive. You have faith. Well, the natural understanding of this next, because so far, God has done this. God has done this. It's a gift. Right? It's a gift of God. It's part of being alive. Well, the natural consequence of having faith is what? Isn't it to live according to that faith? Jesus tells us that everything you do comes from the heart. And so if you've been given a new heart, right, it's going to begin to show. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are his workmanship. The Greek word is, I think I spelled that right, poema, right? It's like, like craftsmanship, right? You're his workmanship. You're this thing that he's made, right? Now what's he talking about? He's talking about you as a Christian, let me think of it. Let's think of it this way. You, as a Christian, you are a trophy of the grace of God. You're an absolute trophy to how gracious God is. That He is so good that He didn't allow 
humans to always dwell in their sin. There's some that He has saved. And you're a trophy to His grace and how good He is. And so He says, you're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now way back at the beginning it says, for once you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. That word walked means a way of life, not just actually walking, it means a way of life. And so over here, when you were dead, you walked in sin. Now that you are a Christian, that God has made you alive, He's given you a new heart, He's given you life, spiritual life, you now have faith in Him. What happens? Because you're His workmanship, that you were created for good works, that you should walk in them. You go from one way of life, way of being, to a new way of life, or new way of being. This is, this is a miraculous thing that God has done in His people. He's taken people who are completely opposed to God and completely, radically changed them on the, from the inside out. We're His workmanship. God gets all the glory. When, when you look at your life, if there's anything good you can do, you can go, that's God. Right? That's God. That's just God in me. That's Christ in me. He's working in me. But it, I, like I mentioned a moment ago, as this brings us full circle back around to a new walk, I'm left with a couple of challenging thoughts that I want to share with you. Um, first of all, I, I need to talk about why we've been talking about this. Um, my wife and I were talking the other day, and I, I feel like I've been talking about a lot of the same topics again and again. And there's two reasons why I've been talking about this. Reason number one is this is what Ephesians is about. Right? When you choose to be obedient to First Timothy and preach the word, when you choose to make that choice, you, you relinquish control of what is going to be preached about, and you're only going to preach what God would have you to preach, his word. And so as we choose to go through the Bible, verse at a time, we, we go with where the topic goes. And Ephesians is all about God's salvation. How he's worked it in history past. How he's working it in your heart. He's going to talk about how he works it in history. At the end of Ephesians, he really gets practical. He's going to talk about the walk. Right? How you are to now walk. But for now, one of the reasons why we keep talking about this is because this is what Ephesians is about. We can't avoid it. Now, because of that, I ask myself the question, God, why would you have us keep talking about this? I didn't know this when I picked up Ephesians and thought, okay, Lord, I was praying, what should we preach about next? I finished James, and we did this other, what, Lord, what do you want me to do? And Ephesians kept coming to mind. I said, okay, God, I think, I think you're wanting me to preach through Ephesians. Uh, why might God have done that? And, and the, the reason that I come up with the second reason, this is the secondary reason, is because, frankly, this gospel preached this way I don't believe has been preached throughout Danville this way. I mentioned the other day, I want to mention it one more time, one of the Gospels that has been preached has been this Gospel. Um, one of the Gospels that has been preached is that you were dead, right? Dead in your sin. But what brings you to that point of salvation is this. I was dead, but then I believed. Right? When I believed, I prayed, or different, different denominations would say different things at this point. Some would say I prayed, or some would say I, uh, you got baptized, or some say I did this, or I, I performed this here, or I did this thing here. But they say I, I believed, and then I did this thing, and then when I did that, God made me alive. And that's just a very different thing than what Ephesians is talking about. Ephesians says, you were made alive, and God gave you that faith. It was a gift. Right? And now you're his workmanship. You're going to begin to do things. Right? You're going to be do, do things like praying and getting baptized and seeking after him, reading his word and studying him and repenting of your sin. And These are all things that happen in this way. And when it happens this way, who gets all the glory? God does. But when you shift and you move it over to this way, I was dead in my sin, but then I believed. Then you're, you're claiming everything up to this point as your work what you've done. And you claim some of the glory. I did this, or I did this, and you've claimed some of the glory for yourself. And so I believe that it's important if we're going to defend the gospel, the real gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to defend it the way Ephesians talks about it. 
God gets all the glory. It's by grace that we have been saved. Right? That leaves me with a second question. Because, because this gospel has not been preached this way, I believe that there's a, a lot of confusion. And let's just limit it to Danville for a minute. A lot of confusion in Danville. Some of you may not recognize this confusion because if you were to be honest, you don't talk about spiritual things with very many people. It's been a long time since you had a conversation about what salvation looks like with anyone. You just don't talk about that. And you may have a lot of different reasons why you say I don't talk about that. Maybe you, maybe you have a, a, a mentality that you say, well, that's the preacher's job to talk about salvation and faith. That my, I'm just, you know. Or, or sometimes people will say, I just don't get into all that stuff. Right? And, and, and we can't go there. We can't do that. If we're going to be God's kind of church, the gospel has to be important to us. But if you do talk to people in Danville, you'll see that there's a lot of people that are confused about what salvation is all about. What does it mean? What does it look like? Right? And so it leaves us with certain challenges as far as sharing the gospel with different people. How do I share the gospel in this town? Right? I've, I've struggled with this myself. I wanted to share the gospel with somebody and I start talking about the love of God and, and, and they go, oh yeah, God loves us. And, and, and only Jesus is going to judge us in the end and, and I believe in Him. And I would love to think, I just don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in turmoil about what I'm seeing and, and, and looking at. Part of the problem is that when, we, when we've talked about sharing the gospel in the past, many of you were taught to share the gospel one way. You had a pat, patented, maybe, response to how to share the gospel. Nothing wrong with this method at all. Uh, one of the pat responses is called the Romans Road. Who's heard of the Romans Road? Yeah. Who, let me ask you this question. Now, there's different variations of it, but I know four verses of the Romans Road. Uh, what, what are the four, the four most common? I, the, the ones that I always knew was the, the four. What was the first one you always started off with? 310 to 323, the one I always remember is 323. Uh, what is Romans 323 says? Romans 323 says, For all have and come short of the... Ah, so important, isn't it? All Everybody's a sinner. Next to that, we, a lot of us go to what passage next? 623. See, my mom has taught me well. Thanks, Mommy. Uh, Romans 623, which says what? But the, right? I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, Romans is so beautiful. We've all sinned. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Right? Now, this is where I, I, I remember different things. The one I remember next is Romans 5.8. Right? What Anybody can quote Romans 5.8? I bet my mom can. Christ died for us. Right? But God commended His love toward us even though we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And then the last one that I always remember is what? Which one do you remember? Yeah, Romans 10, 9, and 10, which talks about what? See, you're answering them all now. Yeah. Confess through the mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that Christ is raised from the dead. You will be saved. Notice it's future tense again, isn't it? Do you hear that? You will be one day saved. Now, <clears throat> the problem with the, the Romans road, as beautiful as it is, is that we can't think in our heads that there's only one way to share the gospel with everybody. I'd like to share with you a few places in the book of Acts how those people shared the good news of the gospel with the people that they met. That might be a good place to see how they... Now, uh, some would think, well, you just see the same thing. So let's take a look at it. I'd like you to take you first to Acts chapter 2. And I'm looking at the time. I'm recognizing we're going to be low on time. So actually, let me, let me pause you right there. Instead of turning to Acts chapter 2, let me just tell you a couple of these because you know them, you're familiar with them, and then I'll turn to a few at the end, okay, so we don't go too long. Acts chapter 2 is one of the first sermons that uh, Peter preaches. And at the very end of it, he calls um, people to repent and be baptized. He doesn't say anything about believing. He just says, repent, change your minds. 
and be baptized. In fact, the people he's talking to, he calls them earlier, he says, you're a bunch of devout good men, but you need to repent, right, and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, another famous one is uh, Acts chapter 16. And uh, Acts chapter 16 is a story about uh, Paul and a, a jailer in the city of Philippi. We, we usually refer to the story as the Philippian jailer, right? Uh, Acts chapter 16, um, there's an earthquake after Paul and Silas are singing. And uh, the jailer recognizes that they're all gone. He's getting ready to commit suicide because he knows he's going to be killed anyway. And Paul and Silas say... Um, um, you know, hey, don't you know? Stop! Don't don't hurt yourself. Verse 28, Acts 16:28. Don't harm yourself, or we're all still here, right? Nobody actually left. Philippian jailer, right? And he brought them out, and he said to them, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" So here you have a person who's specifically asking, "What must I do to be saved?" Paul's response is, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." And so we've we've gone to this passage a lot, and we've we've shared this with people. Say, look, believe, and you will be saved. Right. Let's look at a few more. Uh, Acts chapter eight. You don't have to flip through all these if you don't want. I can. I'm going to read the ones that we need to. Acts chapter eight. The end of Acts chapter eight uh, talks about a Ethiopian eunuch, and it's a miraculous event because Philip was in a different part of the world, and God just whisked him over there by the power of the Spirit, and all of a sudden he shows up. And he sees this Ethiopian eunuch, uh, starting at verse 26. Um, he gets popped over there. Verse 26, he goes down, and Philip sees him, and, and he goes over to the chariot. Verse 30 says, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. He says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture he's reading was this, like a sheep was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Uh, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and he, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. So he shares with them the whole gospel. Jesus came, died on the cross, all those things related to Christ. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now, in other words, he's saying, what, what would prohibit me from... See, for them to be baptized was a way of saying, uh, I'm, I'm converting to this way of believing. Right? It wasn't a religious act. It was saying, I'm converting from this over to this. I, I want, uh, you know, uh, that's what baptism meant at the, in those days. And so he says, what's, what's to prevent me from just joining with you, basically, and, and doing this? And what's Philip say? Um, he says, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Right? When they came up without the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. That'd be an amazing baptism, wouldn't it? You know, get baptized, and the guy that baptized you come up out of the water, he's gone. But notice, what, what, what did Philip say when he says, uh, you know, what, what, what would prohibit me from, from this? Did Philip say anything? Stop the chariot, my friend. Let's go down to the water. Right? In this case, no call of repentance. No call to believe in this, at this point. Right? We don't hear the whole conversation. But as soon as the Ethiopian eunuch says, what, is there anything to stop me from becoming part of this belief system? No. Uh, also in Acts uh, chapter 8, before I flip to another one, let's look at this one. Acts chapter 8 is a very interesting passage up a little bit further. Uh, verse 9 says, There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news, so Philip comes in, Philip is preaching, Right? And all these people believing it, this good news, the gospel, the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, very interesting verse. Who else believed? Verse 13. Simon. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. 
He didn't say he said he believed. He said after he believed. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. I mean, he was marveling at this. He's like, wow, this is amazing. And, and he believed the gospel that was preached. And he got baptized and was following of Philip and everybody else. Verse 14, the apostles uh, at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent them to Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, the, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was being given through the laying on the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now he did something out of character with someone who is genuinely of the faith. He's offering money for the power of God saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Literally what, what he's saying right there, Peter's saying, and, and I, if, if this bothers any of you, I'm sorry, but this is what this means. Uh, Peter's literally saying, May your silver go to hell with you, is what he says. Right? May your silver perish with you. Right? Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. And pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me, for the, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may ha- come upon me. And we don't hear anything else about Simon. Now why do I share this? Here's a man who believed got baptized, was participating, but then something blatant stands out. This is where we've come up short because we have the pat. Well, he believed and was baptized. He's falling along. I mean, I I don't know. I guess he's saved. I guess Peter didn't do that, did he? He said, you're going to go to hell and your money's going to burn with you. May that happen. (laughs) You know, sometimes reading the Bible can be kind of scary, can't it? How they respond to things. It doesn't fit all the time in our way of seeing things, doesn't it? And, and Peter was very direct about that. See, there's not one pat way of dealing with different people. Just because someone said, I believed, and they got baptized, and they were even maybe even going to church like this guy was. He was part of a body of believers. We need to be ready and willing to say, whoa, there's something wrong right here. And it's got to do with your soul. Right? Consider Acts 17. Uh, I'm just going to mention this one. Acts 17 is when uh, Paul goes to Athens. When Paul goes to Athens, he goes up to the, the, this uh, um, a building where there's all these different gods, and there's the one god, the unknown god. We mentioned this in uh, church last week um, in the afternoon. And but if you read that passage, Paul actually describes them as very religious people. Do you know any religious people in Danville? Paul responded to these religious people by calling them, even though they were religious, even though they were good, even though they had a seeking heart after God, he still said they need to repent. A final one I would like to share with you is Acts 26. Acts 26 Uh, Paul is talking to King Agrippa. And Paul begins to share the gospel message with him. And I want to skip over to the the end of this story. Verse 27, uh, Paul is still talking to him. And and he says, uh, he's shared with, now he's just shared with King Agrippa, Paul's sharing how he got saved, his conversion experience. If you go back, it's talking about that whole story. And Paul's saying, this is what happened, this is how I got saved. But listen to what he says, it's very interesting. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the, pro- the prophets? In other words, do you believe the Bible? That's what they had at that point. He said, do you believe the Bible? And he says, I know that you do. I know that you believe. Right? And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, just believing the Bible wasn't enough. Paul, and Paul knew it, and Agrippa knew it. Right? Would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Now, what's he mean by that, such as I am? He's referring back to this conversion experience, right? He shared with how he was a hater of God, and then he was sold out for the things of God. So here's a guy that's not part of a body of believers, but yet believes the Bible, 
believes in God, right? And even to believe in these things, some of these things to be true. But Paul says, what I want, what, I, what I'm hoping in, is not just that you'll believe these things, but that you'll become like me. What does he mean by like me? Someone who's forsaken all, followed after Christ with his whole life. See, there's not one, and, and these are just, I'm just scratching the surface. In the Bible, there's not one set way of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes all, all is said is repent. Sometimes with different people, they say, you just need to believe. Sometimes with different people, they say, I, you may believe, but you're still, you know, <laughs> you're obviously still caught up in your sin. You're in the ball, ball of, uh, the, of bitterness, right? The gall of bitterness. I mean, here you are with King Agrippa. Yeah, you believe. I know you believe the prophets. I know you believe the Bible. But I'm, I'm hoping that you'll be like this, be a Christian. Okay? You know, one of the things that we have to do is we take, we walk away from this and we begin to jump into the next portion of Ephesians is this. There's a call for us to present the gospel in a way that is meaningful and understandable. Right? We have a lot of work to do in Danville. There's a lot of people that, that have a very confused view of what salvation is. And we need to have a more biblical approach to how we talk to them. The hard part is, I can't get up here today and say, do it this way. Do A, B, and C, you're good. Right? Because everybody's different. We have to be discerning to see, if somebody says, I believe in God, to be able to say, I know that you say that, but to be a Christian isn't just about a, a knowledge in the head. Some people, we may be able to say, you know, you just have to put your trust in him completely. It's from the heart. But then even after that, like Simon, even though he believed, there was clearly he had missed the point, hadn't he? And we need to be willing to, when we see people who've said that they've believed and maybe even started going to church, to be able to say to them, I, I think maybe you're missing the point. It's hard today in Danville to do that. A lot of us are afraid to do that. Well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to... You know, come across judgmental. You know, I don't know what's in their heart. Well, in a way, you do because what's in the heart comes out, right? What's in the heart does come out, and we can't have some level of understanding of what's going on. Clearly, we need God's wisdom in this, don't we? I know that probably as I'm talking about these things, several of you have people that you know and you love and you care about that maybe even have said that they're a believer, but you're not for sure because you're not seeing his workmanship in their life. And so you're questioning, has this really happened? Has God really made them alive? Is there really faith there? Because I don't see that they're God's workmanship and I don't see them walking this way. And so I'm concerned. I know that they said they believed. I know that they said that they've done, they've done these things, but, but what about this? Right? Are they really God's workmanship? And until we begin to see God's workmanship, we can always question and ask and confront and challenge those people that we know. But in order to do that, we've got to know our Bibles. And so the question is left up to you. Are you willing, do you care enough about those people in your life to get your Bible out and begin studying, begin learning? Lord, I, I know that maybe I need to learn more and, and become a part of that, of sharing the gospel with Daniel.